Welcome to the School of Humanity podcast. You are made in the image and likeness of God. Not only does God long for you, but you are like Him. What does this mean for you? How does it affect your view of God? How does it affect your view of yourself? How does that affect everything? This, this is, is the School, School of, of Humanity. Humanity. Hello and welcome to the School of Humanity. My name is Rachel Bullman. What's your name? Uh, my name is Jason Bullman. You come here often or? Uh, not in a long time. That's true. We haven't done a podcast in a long time. So thank you for still listening to us. This is episode 46. Um, a lot has changed. We just, uh, we're about to close out our second year of diaconate formation. Yeah, we've had a lot going on. Yeah, we've had a lot going on. We've got a baby that is, uh, she's about to be one year and has started walking. So I'm moving out. And we've got four kids. I'm going to move out, though, when she she really starts walking. Well, she certainly can't come to the diaconate formation weekends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be fine. It'll no, be fine. But I think no. that she, um, I've, I mean, I'm, I'm, you keep ignoring me saying that I'm going to move out. So I don't, I don't know why you do that, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I just um. want to solidify that. <laughs> um, anyway, the year has just been really, really awesome. You know, I hope that your your Lent and your Easter were fantastic. We've um, had a really beautiful time here. Gabriel is going to be receiving his first communion here in a few weeks, so please keep praying for him. Um, there's lots of awesome things, even amidst all the busyness and the craziness. You know, I think that it's important for us to remember that the Lord calls us to maintain an interior peace, especially when things are very chaotic. You know, peace isn't really peace unless amidst the chaos, it's still there. Right. But tonight we really wanted to talk to you about um, Easter. And that's really what we should have said first was Happy Easter. Um, Have you been telling anybody Happy Easter at work? I haven't really. Um, so you're blowing admit it. it. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Okay, I just wanted to. I have to a few patients, and I think they looked at me kind of strange. <laughs> I I work with our children, so they don't they don't really mind what I tell them at Easter. It's good catechesis. Yeah, good catechesis. So, um, but tonight, you know, we really wanted to continue with this spirit of Easter that we are in. You know, I love that about the Catholic Church that Easter doesn't just happen on Easter Sunday and then stop. Right. Were you cognizant of that growing up in the church or no? I don't think so, honestly. Um, I mean, you notice little things like flowers and stuff remain in the church. Right. So like liturgical things you notice and then, you know, the subject matter of the Gospels and the readings definitely fit the Easter season. Um and so I probably had some idea, but not, but not fully, you know. Okay. Um, and then you have Pentecost. Right, which is awesome. Pentecost, what's the other liturgical day that you get to wear red? You know? Like, obviously. Well, in the Triduum, triduum you can wear red starting, I think, Good Friday. And then the other time that you wear red is, is Pentecost. Right. So. There might oh. be another day I'm not thinking of. I've got to find out. <laughs> Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Pentecost, uh, Feast of the Passion of the Lord, Feast of Martyrs, Apostles and Evangelists, and during the Sacrament of Confirmation. Yeah, I was going to say that I think that when you're celebrating a martyr, 
that you have that option. That's awesome. So not so long ago, I got to go down and visit some young adults at Ascension. Or no, not Ascension, sorry. That's across the river at Holy Name of Jesus uh, down in Melbourne. Um, beautiful parish. I have never been there before. So it's right there on the beach. And as I was driving up there, I was thinking to myself, like, there are holy people down here, huh? Because I'd be on the beach all the time. Right. I mean, apparently I found out that they do a sunrise service every Easter morning on the beach and have hundreds upon hundreds of people join them for that. And they make an altar out of a surfboard. Wow. Yeah. Pretty phenomenal. (laughs) And so, I mean, even as I got out in the parking lot to go in, I, you could, I mean, you feel the sea breeze. You're literally like across the street from the beach, which is amazing. And it's really beautiful because one of their, their part of their logo is the seashell. Part of their logo? Yeah. Of part of the, like everywhere all over the parish, there's just uh, the seashell. Okay. Like on their welcome mat. Like St. James seashell? What's the St. James seashell? I think that St. James is associated with that, is it not? I don't know. <laughs> I believe it is, just like the cathedral. Mm. If you notice, there's shells. Oh, that's right. There are shells. Yeah. I'm not sure. You know, I always associate it with baptism. Right. And it works perfectly since they're next to the beach. Right. So, really awesome. That is awesome. But the young adult group there has a once a month event called Ascend, where they have a speaker come in and speak to the young adults. And I was honored to be able to do that um, this past week. And what I ended up talking to them about was Mary Magdalene, the disciples on the shore of Lake Gennesaret. Uh, who else? Thomas. Thomas, the apostle, and the men on the road to Damaeus. Mm-hmm. And so, I, you know, Jesus, after the resurrection, appeared to, to several people, um, not everyone, but a few people. And I picked out those things in particular to discuss uh, with them. And we figured we would also discuss that here tonight. Why did you pick this? Um. Yeah. It just came up in prayer. Like I was praying about, you know, what what to speak about. And that came up, you know, it was going to be the week after Easter that the talk was. And so it kind of came right in line. And we hear about all of these things during these 50 days of Easter, you know, all of these things occurring. So it just seemed apropos. And then the name of the talk was Living the Resurrection. Right. So. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what was on your heart, but for me, I thought it was a great idea because... You get to see how did the first people, you know, after the resurrection react and um, what was their disposition when they saw Jesus, the resurrected Christ? Right. How did they react to him? Um, How did he react to them? Right. And then, you know, how did it go from there after after they saw him resurrected? and so it can kind of give us, I think, right. a, a peek into, you know, the apostles, a peek into Christ, and uh, it can apply to us, I think. Um, Agreed. So should we start with Mary Magdalene? Uh, whatever you think. Well, Mary Magdalene is, of <coughs> course, very close to my heart. That's that's actually Abigail's middle name, our youngest, mm-hmm. is Magdalene. Um, and so if you look in John chapter 20 in Scripture, it talks about the first day of the week, Mary of Magdala came to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark and saw the stone removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. 
and told them they have taken the Lord from the tomb. We do not know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple went out and came to the tomb. And so it goes on to say that they went in. Peter, or they didn't go inside yet. Peter went and he saw the burial cloths there, but he did not go in. And let's see. John, this was John. John went, saw the burial cloths, did not go in. Now when Simon Peter came up after him, he went into the tomb and saw the burial cloth there and the cloth that had covered the head of Jesus, not with the burial cloth, but rolled up in a separate place. And then John went in and he saw and believed for they did not yet understand the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned home. So, um, I mean, that alone says a lot. I don't think I would have returned home. Do you think you would have returned home? I would have wanted to go and look for him. Yeah. I um, I mean, who knows what was on their hearts, I, you know, but I agree. I mean, it's it's tough to say. I mean, I know that there's a lot of confusion there. Um, you know, sometimes you, you don't want to dare to hope that it might be that right. he's risen because if it's not, it's like this huge letdown all over again. Also, does this say that John was in better shape than Simon Peter because he got to the tomb first? I mean, I think that's clear. Okay. I just wanted to. <laughs> um, so Mary stayed outside the tomb and she was weeping. And as she wept, she bent over into the tomb and saw two angels in white sitting there. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to him, they have taken my Lord and I don't know where they laid them. When, they, when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus there, but did not know that it was him. And he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? She thought it was the gardener and said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you laid him and I will take him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop holding on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them, I am going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary of Magdala went and announced to his disciples, I have seen the Lord and what he told her. And so it's really beautiful because Mary is also called the disciple of the disciples, you know, or the first, is she called the first apostle, first disciple? I think, yeah, apostle think of the apostles. Apostle of the apostles. Because she was the first to, to tell about the resurrected yeah. Jesus. Um, yeah. What's really beautiful about this is that out of all the stories, I would consider her almost to be the most, the closest to his heart, you know. And it's also very apropos that, at the foot of the cross, the ones that were left were Mary Magdalene and the other women, along with their blessed mother. And of course, that when he is resurrected, the first person that he sees is Mary Magdalene. It's just beautiful. Um, and one of our good friends uh, preached a homily. And at the end of it, he mentioned, you know, that it's kind of strange that it was in a garden. You know, that the first Adam was also in a garden and that you have Jesus, the second Adam, being found in a garden again, you know, and it kind of also speaks back to, I'm sure maybe how God and Adam and Eve probably interacted with one another, you know, um, like when God asked, where are you to Adam and Eve? I mean, he very well knew. Mm -hmm. And like right. Jesus asking Mary now, you know, why are you weeping? He knew while she was weeping, you know, um, but you know, for Adam and Eve, it spoke of shame. And for here with Mary of Magdala, she, she was just searching for him and that touched his heart, you know, and for him to say her name and that's all it took is just beautiful that it just took him whispering her name for her to realize who he was. 
and that Jesus actually is a gardener, except that he is the master gardener, putting everything back in the order that it should should have been. Right. Returning us back to the garden, but also in a much redeemed and better way than what it was before. Um, so that's really beautiful. And then he goes on and he sees the disciples. He goes to the disciples and then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And that was actually the reading from this past Sunday, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And when I was studying this previously, I, I had never really thought about the fact that Thomas wasn't there for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. I mean, how does that sit with you? What do you think about that? Um, I mean, I think clearly, you know, that it, it happened later because he's an apostle. And so, I mean, he would have had been gifted with the Holy Spirit. Um, it, it may have been for him, though, that that interaction with, with Christ, when he, you know, has him put his hands in his, in the holes in his hands and in his side so that he would stop, be unbelieving, but believe, you know. Right. And I he mean, says, my Lord and my God. I mean, it takes the Holy Spirit to be able to say that. Right. Um, and the other thing is that the disciples it tried to tell him, you know, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas was still very much like, you know, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hand, put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Um, and so it took a full week. You know that that entire week was like each one of the disciples like, going through their own story of what had happened. Right. I'm sure it was torturous for him. Um, right. And Jesus came, although the doors were locked and stood in their midst, and he said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and bring your hand and put it to my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believe. And I love where he says, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. And that definitely bespeaks to us, you know, it bespeaks to the fact that we don't, we're not able to see him as the wounded man, but that we see him now, you know, through the bread of the Eucharist. Yeah, through the eyes of faith. Right. And it goes on and says, you know, that many other signs were given, but that they're not written here. Um, and then you have the appearance on Lake Gennesaret. Um, do you remember this one, honey? Yeah, I believe so. Go ahead. Disciples were in the boat. Right. There were seven of them at this point. They were had returned to fishing um, once again. Uh, and it's very interesting that that whole point, just the fact that they're out there fishing is one thing. and um, But they're not catching anything, much like harkens back to the first time right. um, that Christ was on the boat with them. Um, and they see him, or they see, you know, a man on the shore from afar, and he asks them, uh, what Have you he caught anything? Have you caught anything? And they say no, of course, and right. he tells them to cast their nets on the other side. At that moment... And they cast it. Yeah, once they pull up a bunch of fish, right? And then right. John says it is the Lord. Um, and Simon, super rational, like jumps out of the boat. Right. My favorite part. <laughs> he jumps out of the Swims boat. Swims to, the, to the shore. But I still, I I told Jason that I still imagine like the disciples rowing and Simon's like trying to get there, but the the disciples like row by him like, you're so nuts. Like we were already, <laughs> we were going to the same place. 
<laughs> but um, no, he didn't care. <laughs> Jason's irrational sometimes, like Peter. Um, I think we all are, though, right? A little yeah, irrational. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> there's no. It is. It's just an instinct. It is. Love just took him over, and he jumps in, and because that's the only thing that matters. This, you know, conversion for any of us, you know, Christ becomes the person who our whole life surrounds. So he had returned to fishing, and right. it was empty. Right, which is what we do. You know, we we kind of get disappointed in something. You know, it didn't quite go the way that right. we thought, so we kind of want to re- return to our plans that we had before. You know, well, let's go fishing. We know how to do that. Right. Um. So they go out, they go fishing. And the other thing, you know, this came up today. I was speaking with a friend and we were talking about how the Lord sometimes asks us to do things. And and Jason and I both, I think, are very, say, existential. Like we're both, Jason's a little bit more practical than I am. Wouldn't you agree? I don't know. And I don't uh, know what you mean. we're a little bit um, more spiritual, you know. So like with the Lord was like, Rachel and Jason, go and pray about this, you know, or go find me go find my presence in the wilderness. We'd be like, okay, you know, <laughs> like that sounds like something I can do. But if the Lord's like, write a letter to so-and-so and ask them for this, we'd be like, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> right. Like it's almost like the the practicality of something seems like it's, it's, it's lost on, on me, you know? Um, and so I was saying that sometimes the Lord desires us to do something practical so that he can reveal himself more to us through our, obedience you know uh like the disciples were out there all night long right and and jesus was like have you caught any fish and they say no and he says well cast your net on the other side you know i think we get tired sometimes when we try to do things our own way and the disciples could have very well been like we're not doing that like we've been on here all night long like we've already fished there is nothing in this lake like there's nothing in the sea there's nothing here for us but instead, you know, maybe it was out of exhaustion, but they obeyed him. And it was in that obedience that he was revealed to them. Yeah, and I think part of what you're getting at is just that it's beautiful how Christ always uses incarn- incarnate things or the immediate context. They're not. It's not some like ethereal or existential, you know, reality, you know, like supernatural, you know, manifestation of glory. Um, But, you know, he uses the simple and the incarnate things to show us um, beauty and truth um, and goodness. And um, this, it says a lot. It says it, it talk, it speaks to the beauty of, of um, anything that's incarnate of, of us, you know, um, and how he prefers that um, instead of it being something, you know, I think what you're getting at too is just we have a, sometimes we get fixated on trying to find Christ or encounter him in some extremely, you know, uh, supernatural um what's the word um just very unusual experience or um, right like something that would never happen to anybody else yeah yeah like you know we use examples that we hear of saints of you know um 
ecstatic prayer and things like that as what we expect, but he tries to speak to us through. They're very practical. That's beautiful. I didn't yeah, even think about incarnate that. incarnate things, you know, other people, you know, in our lives. I, I Most of the time, I know the Lord's will because of other people in, in right. my life who I know the Lord uses to um, speak to me and affirm things. Yeah, there was um, this quote earlier today that I was showing Jason. Um, let see if I can pull it up real quick. But it just talks about the fact that a lot of times we can see more clearly, you know, or hear clearer the voice of God when we hear it through our brother or sister. Um, let me find it really quick. But it says, the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's is sure. It's from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's beautiful. I mean, it's so true. You know, we, we kind of get to the point where we try to hear our own truth and we can't. Because we we just are unsure of ourselves, but to hear it from someone else, you know, is always so beautiful. The other thing that I think about now is that this part where they they get to the shore and they're dragging this net with all the fish. And they get there and they see a fire already with fish on it, with bread. And Jesus said to them, you know, come uh, bring some of the fish you just caught. And he asked them to sit down and, and have breakfast with him. And I just think it's so beautiful that they would be out there, you know, in toil trying to get these these fish. The Lord leads them to the fish, but then goes on to show them that what you caught does not feed you. I already have it here. Right. You know, I've already prepared a meal yeah, for us. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, it's beautiful that you did that and you can bring it and you can add to this. But I, what I have sustained you. Yeah. It's a reminder that that passage is a big time reminder of our utter dependence on Christ and how we can't do anything without him. You know, they're trying so hard to find some kind of life outside of him now that they think he's gone and it's empty and they can't even do that well. And then he invites them to do it well, but then shows them that that's not even enough. Right. And then furthermore invites Peter into communion even more by allowing him to make up for his denial by asking him to, if he loves him, you know, three right. times. So, so, so as to be back in communion, recognize that Christ is his all in all. Um, very, very beautiful um, scene for the, us to contemplate. The other, and the last one was the, um, oh, this is very interesting, sorry. I was, I was thinking to myself, about the fact that in that last book of John, when they're on the shore and Jesus asks them three times, do you love me? The first things he says is tend my sheep. And then he says, feed my lambs. And then he says something about lambs again, I believe. Yeah, I don't remember. Exactly. Yeah, he does, he uses a different um, tense there. And I so I was, I was curious about it and I looked it up and it says a sheep in its first year is called a lamb. And its meat is also called the lamb. Uh, and then it says, um, you know, it's just sheep in different stages of life. So I think it's beautiful that that it was kind of speaking to, you know, basically all of the kingdom. Not just those that know right. me already, but for those that are very young and knowing me and those that are that have known me for quite some time. Yeah, and, it, you know, I think it can be applied to the, you know, the different aspects of, 
being and a being a bishop, you know, being in the image of Christ the shepherd, so you have to tend right the flock, you know, especially him as the premier bishop among bishops, um as the first pope. And then, you know, feeding, of course, can be alluded to the Eucharist, um, right. which is the summit of unity, you know. Um, <laughs> so, Beautiful. yeah, it's it's a wonderful, there's so many elements to all these that you could speak about. That, there are. You know, I mean, I think every time that I read each of these stories, I'm like, oh, I never thought about that before. Right. Um, so Luke chapter 24 is also where it talks about the last one that we'll discuss Um we're starting to run out of time, so we'll try to go through it quickly, but it'll, it might be pretty hard. Um, but the road to Emmaus, um, there were two on the road to Emmaus, uh, and they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. Um, it happened while they were conversing and debating that Jesus himself drew near and walked with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped looking downcast. Now, one of them named Cleopas said to him in reply, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place there in these day- days? I'm sure he's like, Have you been living under a rock or something? And then Jesus said, Yeah, they, they actually just rolled the rock away. Right. Um, That's wow, a really that was, bad joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is why he married me for my, my comedic relief, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but, you know, first thing to note is that they were going home. Like these two, just these people were from Emmaus. Right. And so they had, and, and if you read on, he goes on to tell them that like the, the two, two men tell him like, well, there's this Jesus who was prophet and, and the chief priest handed him over to a sentence of death and they crucified him. And we were hoping that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. <clears throat> now it's the third day. And some women came this morning and told us that the tomb was empty, but we haven't found his body. And they came back and reported they had indeed seen angels saying that he was alive. And we went to the tomb and found things just as the women had said, but we didn't see him. Right. (laughs) The first thing that Christ does is asks us, you know, a question that he already knows, you know, he already knew the answer to, but then why does he ask it? it's so exhausting when he does that. Why does he do that, though? (laughs) You know, I think he does it, you know, obviously to hear it's to allow us to hear our own voices, you yeah, know, yeah. like allow us to hear their rationality and what we're right. saying, you know, it provides clarity. When it does. Yeah. It does. Super awful clarity. I mean, I think that that's really good spiritual direction too. you know, usually you can listen to someone talk. Now you always imagine like someone being like laying on a leather couch and they're talking to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist is always like, what, how does that make you feel? Right. You well, know, it's a Socratic that, method too. Right. I mean, so I mean, it's it's it's, it's a method of drawing them out, you know, from themselves. And he says to him, "Oh, how foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke! Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory?" And then it says that he went on with them, and he interpreted to him what referred to him in all the scriptures. And they even, I mean. I got to see Sister Miriam James um, a few weeks ago during the Lent. She talked a little bit about the story, and she said it's really beautiful that that Jesus would walk with them even though they were going the wrong way. Right. You know, that's such a glorious thing. And what did you say the other night about evangelization? Yeah, so, I mean, that is kind of the key um, to evangelization. You can't, you know, uh, affect 
you know, or or till the ground for the Holy Spirit to do His work. If you with mere words, you know, um, you have to abide with and and walk with um, people, love them in in the place where they are, and know and show them that you love them. Basically, you know, in an unconditional way, it's not because of anything, you know. So you you're willing to suffer with, you know, that compassion, that compassion, uh, compassionum, uh, you know, to suffer with, um, and only then will they have their hearts open to right. hear the gospel. And then, as they get closer to the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on farther, but they urged him stay with us. For it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Right. So and I think it's beautiful too that not only did they ask him to stay with them, but he also figured out a way to stay within them through the gift of the Eucharist, through the breaking of the bread. Right. And that was when he was revealed, was yeah. in the breaking of the bread. But it's it's in a in a proper method. It, you know, it's 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 our example of what real evangelization is. You walk with and abide with them. And they're suffering. You open up, you know, the word for them. Right. You you have to use words, and what better word than the word? Um, and then their hearts start to, you know, what did they said, you know, after after he left, weren't our hearts burning? Right. You know, and then what's what's the answer? What's the apex of this burn? It's the Eucharist, you know, right. and that's when your eyes are fully open. And it's a lot to say, too, that the eyes were not open during the breaking of the Scripture. It's not, and you know, that's not, it's not even meant to be. That That's right. the whole, it's it's not the fullness. You need all three elements to to welcome someone into the church, and without any one of them, but but that's the issue is that there should not, this shouldn't even be a question. Like, these all things go together. Right. Right. Period, you know. Uh, and so some food for thought as we we exit out of this, as we recapped all of these different stories, is that um, number one, like we are at some point one of these people, you know, yeah. if not every day. You know, maybe we're Mary Magdalene who were so intimate with him that it just took him saying his voice. You know, maybe we're Thomas who kind of missed out on the first time and it might take us a little bit more to realize maybe sticking our hand into his wound or maybe Jesus calls us in a very practical way to then throw our nets on the other side just so we can hear his voice again. And he's always been calling us in the same manner, but maybe we have not been obedient in the past. Maybe we just aren't following through. Or, you know, this fourth way, maybe he's been walking with you all along, but he hasn't quite revealed himself to you um, in the way that you thought he would. You know, he's always revealing himself to you, but it's whether or not you think it's happening the way that it should. You know, he was supposed to be the redeemer of Israel. Like he was going to deliver us of everything. And it's just crazy to imagine that he was with them. He was with them all along, you know, but they had a different idea of what that might look like. Never did they imagine that he would be sitting across from them at their very own table. Right. And then the other point of all of this is, is that each one of these people, once they had an encounter with Christ, once they had an encounter with the risen Lord, they immediately set out into a new life of just pure evangelization and telling people about the gospel. And almost every right. one of those says that. They realize yeah. and then they set out to tell everyone what they had just seen yeah. and what they had I heard. I mean, with the resurrection, if it's false, then everything was for naught. But if it's true, then your whole life is changed. Right. And should be directed towards that alone. 
And that's what Easter calls us into. You know, the right. church recreates this every year so that we can thus recreate this same response within ourselves, that we don't go back and live the way that we did during Lent or prior to Easter or during ordinary time, that we don't enter into ordinary time as the person that we entered into Easter, but that we enter into something completely new and that we don't get tired of telling people about what happened on Easter Sunday right? and what we're celebrating. So may we continue to live out the resurrection. May we live as people that have seen him, that have met him, that have known him. And blessed are we who have not seen, but still believe. Amen. Amen. Happy Easter.